morning, everybody. Welcome to Ridgeview Church on this uh, Labor Day weekend. Uh, we're so glad you decided to, to join us. And uh, today we're continuing our series called Joy in the Journey, and we're dealing through the book of First Peter, sorry, working through the book of First Peter, looking at uh, what are kind of the, the picture and the journey of the Christian life. And we're digging into First Peter kind of chapter by chapter, looking at the themes presented in the book, and then asking the question, uh, what does this mean for me? Uh, if you're a Christ follower, uh, what's this journey that God's called me on? What, what are the, the, the pathways and the decisions that I have to continue to make as a follower of Christ? Uh, if you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, then this series is really like, well, what is this journey that I would embark on? What would the twists and turns look like? Where is the end? Where, where is God taking me? And so uh, wherever you fall, like in your spiritual journey, um, we hope that this is an encouragement to you. And we're looking at this theme uh, really in the context of our, our mission. And so our mission as a church is inviting people to experience refreshing life in Christ. And that's really the joy in the journey itself is the refreshing life that we have when we follow God in his ways, which is made possible because of what Jesus has done for us. And so each week of this series, we're looking at different themes with this context of refreshment. And today we're talking about refreshing freedom, the freedom that we have following the Lord Jesus and how following him actually brings a freedom that we can't have any other way. Now, uh, most of us probably were born in this country. Uh, We see freedom as a big part of who we are as a people, Uh, but freedom was actually not originated by any country or any nation or any um, idea from man. Freedom is actually given to you by God. Uh, He gives it to you when you actually live in line with his reality. And following him and his ways leads to freedom. Now, notice I didn't say the easy life, because freedom and and easy aren't aren't synonymous. They're not the same. But there is actually this freedom that you can have from uh, the darkness, from depression, from the slavery of sin over time as you you begin to go his way. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Normally, I read like a little uh, chunk of scripture and then kind of unpack that. Uh, But today, I'm going to read a bunch of scripture and uh, do the same. And so if you can, uh, dig in with me. We're going to start at 1 Peter 2, and then we're going to kind of work through uh, some of chapter 3. Let's read it together. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are what? Free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And the scriptures continue. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Then Peter continues, chapter three, it says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And he continues, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers 
may not be hindered. And everyone takes a breath. And that's the scriptures we're covering today. That's a lot. There's a lot to that. What's very interesting, and I don't know if you caught up on this, I'm talking about refreshing freedom. And the first thing I started with was be subject to. And that's some of what is so counterintuitive sometimes when we follow the Lord Jesus is we have a picture of what freedom means. And most of the time, freedom means to do what we want when we want on our own terms. And certainly there's a part of freedom where you have to be free from the pressure of external things to make decisions for yourself. In fact, when you're not free to make decisions for yourself, they're really not your decisions. And so that's very important. That's actually very important in the Christian life. That's why here at Ridgeview, we try to create an environment which is free from pressure and guilt. If you grew up with religion or a spirituality that did that, uh, that may have rubbed you the wrong way or maybe forced you to do things that you weren't ready to do. And what happens is you end up conforming. You don't change. So freedom is necessary for us to make decisions, for us to actually change, to think differently about things, to value things differently. But as we've dug into that scripture, which crosses lots of different territories of life, you find that the freedom that we're told to live as was tied also to a decision that we make. And that's what I want to dig in today. And the first point of just all this passage, and this is like the central idea of this refreshing freedom is this. God has set us free, and we can live as servants of God. That's the difference of the Christian life. God has set you free for a specific purpose. And the specific purpose that you have and the specific purpose that I have is to live as servants. Now, I don't know about you. This is just a brief informal survey. But if you look back maybe on your, your school years, if you look back if you were in sports, if you look back maybe at your home life, just brief informal survey if you're interested and willing to share. How many of you would consider yourselves like, I'm a rule follower? How many people just raise your hand? I'm a rule follower. I tended to follow the rules. I got lots of stickers on the board at school, the poster, the chore chart at home, I filled up because I always did what I was supposed to do. How many of you would describe that as not being you? Anyone else? Like you're not a rule follower. Okay, now that's usually how it works. There's, there's two types of people. There's people who tend to like, what are the rules so I can follow them exactly? And then others that are, what are the rules that are helpful ideas that I might consider someday, Right? And we have that in, in different areas. And I, I'm kind of a, a tweener, if you would. I like rules that make sense to me. And I don't like rules that don't. So in some things, I comply. And in some things, I rebel. But in all of us, there's a part where the freedom that we have, whatever we want to do, is very easily drawn not to servants of God, but to please ourselves. That is the pressure and the lure we all have, to please ourselves. Because did you know, oftentimes, even if you're a rule follower, you do so because you want people to look at you a certain way. So you follow the rules because you want people to see you in a certain light. And the opposite is true. When you rebel, you want to be seen as somebody. I don't bend to the rules. I make them. And if you're not a rule follower and then you become a parent, you really struggle. Because then you see in your kids some of what you experienced yourself getting a little too real, right? But it's always just subjective and kind of the different situations. But the theme of scripture again and again is if, if you are free, which the scriptures say we are, then you actually live as servants of God. And this is verse 16. If you want to memorize a scripture today, I would encourage you to do this. Live as people who are free. That is such a beautiful anthem for our day. I think that resonates with everyone. Live as people who are free. Like all of us, like, yes, yes, but it's not the end of the verse not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living what? As servants of God. The anthem for the church, the anthem for Christians throughout the centuries is we are free by the living God. He's made us free and we are free indeed. But he's given us this command to live as servants of God. And then it goes even further. Now we have not just a subjective idea of being a servant, but we're told to do specific things. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Anytime scripture says everyone, it really is um, literal, like honor everyone, meaning there should be this disposition that we have to, to give honor and to, to live as these servants. And if you look at the life of Christ, you see that we do that because that's what he did. The scriptures say that he actually came to, to not be served, 
but to serve, and what does the scripture say? To give his life as a ransom for many. And Peter echoed the same words, that he, by his wounds, by his stripes, by the beatings he endured, we're healed. So by the choices he made as a servant of God, the son of God, he's made us free. He actually surrendered his life, sacrificed his life. And in him, we see the ultimate freedom. So it's very, very counterintuitive. I want to speak just briefly to honor everyone, if I could. I think honor is part of a lost um, kind of norm in culture. Honor is very important. Now, I grew up in a military family. I think most of you knew that. My dad was in the Air Force. So honor was like a big part. I used to live on military bases. And living on a military base, there were certain times during the day that they would play the, the national anthem. And no matter what you were doing, when it played, you would stop, you'd find the flag, and you'd see men in military saluting, and everyone else putting their, their hand over their heart. That was like kind of the world I lived in. So there's like, you stop everything. And it's a sign of honor. You honor those who've laid down their life, and you honor the ideals of our country for all these people that are on these base gathered to push that forward. So honor, honor makes sense to me. But there's also just like that freedom and selfishness. It's, it's always easy to demand honor, but sometimes it's very hard to give it. And what Peter is saying is if you want people to honor you, you have to be willing to honor people first. That's actually the hard edge that we talked about last week. You put the goals and interests of others above their own. One of the key ways you do that is you honor. The reason I say that, and this is maybe true for men especially, men have a very hard time honoring each other. Oftentimes we honor by cutting each other down. If you've ever seen men relate in their comfortable, like really comfortable, like a lot of people are like, oh man, you guys are so mean to each other. And the men are like, yes, I love him so much. Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like in sports and, and just all of it. But here's some tips to, to think through honor. Just be careful, especially if you have kids. Be careful how sarcastic you are. Sarcasm doesn't build honor a lot of times. Sarcasm actually questions the motive of the person sharing it. Like, are they for real? They're not for real? What do they mean? How do I know what they mean? So you want to watch out for that. Watch how you tease. I grew up in a super teasing family. One of the phrases was, we kid because we care. Like, that's really great until, like, you're kind of like, I don't want to be cared for that much anymore. Um, Use encouraging words. Catch people doing right. Uh, Look to give credit where it's due. Uh, My wife and I, we, we have to have this conversation. No matter how old our kids are, there's just times we have to stop and say, when was the last time we just said yes to something with our kids? Because it's so easy. It's no, 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 right? And sometimes, sometimes it's just like, what can you say yes to so there's not a culture of no? That's a way you honor, like, I want to help you with your goals. So even if it doesn't make sense to me, and I don't even have time to process what you're asking, I could say yes because that's what you want. That's the way you, you honor even the needs of people. Look to give credit where it's due. Be, be generous. Be generous with your time. Someone wants to talk to you, don't start the timer for which you have to leave the conversation. Give yourselves to them. Talk. Let them talk to you and listen. These are just some tips. Like, honor everyone. And you do that as you live as a servant, uh, as a servant of God. So we're free because God made us free. And in our freedom, we're supposed to be servants. But there's a piece of this which is really important as well, and that's the next point. So our ultimate allegiance is to God, our King. So every time we talk about servants, we never serve ourselves, and we actually never serve each other. We never serve any other authority, organization, country, nation, people, family. We never serve anyone over the King who is the Lord Jesus. He should have our ultimate allegiance. That means if there's ever a question between we following God and we follow man, if you're a Christ follower, you always have to follow what God says, even if it's hard, even if you're the only one doing it, even if you'd be laughed at, even if you'd be made fun of, even if people wouldn't understand, even if it's not cool, you do what God says. What's very interesting, in Acts 5.29, we read this scripture. It says, but who? Peter, the author of this person who just said, be subject to all these things. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. What was happening in this picture is they were sharing the good news of Jesus. 
and they were prohibited from teaching in Jesus' name. And Peter says, listen, my ultimate allegiance, my ultimate freedom comes from God himself. And the only way people can live as free, like I'm free, is they have to know the good news of Jesus. And I have to obey God. And I will defy your orders to silence us. That is what the Christian life is. When it comes to the point where we have to choose, our allegiance is always with God, our King. Now, when I read this, there's part of me that's like, yes! Like you just want anything anyone tells you. We have to obey God rather than men. Feels like it takes you off the hook for a lot of things. But most of the time, the question isn't between pleasing God and pleasing men. Most of the time, it's between pleasing ourselves and pleasing men. You guys hear that? Most of the time, we don't want to do things, and it's not an allegiance to God issue. It's an allegiance because we just don't want to do it. And so Peter is saying, actually, because you're free, you have to live as a Christian very differently. You have to be very sensitive to how you follow, to how you, you do what's asked of you in a way that pleases God. He's your audience. You don't have to be a slave to what you're told. You don't have to be someone that's just crushed under the burdens of what you're given, but you do so knowing that God will take care of you. It's a very different way of living. I want to just talk through an authority structure. If you, if you have a listening guide, this would be helpful if you pull it out because there's kind of a picture here of some boxes and they're blank on your page, but you can fill them in. This is actually how life works. Peter brings up these main government. He brings up work. Slaves and masters in scripture, we don't have that. Thank you, Lord, that we have freedom. There are no slaves and masters, but really you can apply a lot of that to the work relationship. Now, hopefully you don't feel like a slave, but that's part of the work that you, you do. You just, you have to work. And then there's family and then there's church. Peter actually addresses in the scriptures I've covered the first three, government, work, and family. I'll touch briefly uh, on church as, as we conclude. But I want to just talk about this picture because oftentimes we see authority and we see our life as like compartmental, if you will. Like here, you're in your church world. It's your church slice with your church friends doing your church things. And, you know, we listen and we, we talk and we do hopefully what God wants us to do. But then we also have our work life with our work friends, with our work rules and everything in there. And then we have our family life with our family, doing what our family does on our family's terms, like it's all compartmental. But in the church, isn't just the God slice. The God slice is in everything. He's sovereign. That's what the scriptures talk. He, he's sovereign, meaning... He has something to say about how reality works in every area. That's why it's so important for you to read your Bible. Because as Peter addressed, he has actually given us some things that we have to do related to how we follow the rulers over us. How we follow those who have power over us related to work. How we follow in, in family life. The scriptures speak a specific to these things. But this is why our ultimate allegiance is to God, because he's over all. There is no man that can ever replace where God is. Now, because we're made in his image, we're actually made a sovereign people too. Like we're, we're free, and that's how our country was founded, in the pursuit of, of liberty. Like we're made sovereign. And so as we talk about these things, it's very important to remember, we do this knowing that God is the one who speaks into each area, and he's in control. He's the authority. If he's the ultimate authority, then we really need to know what the scriptures say about those areas. Uh, in the passage, uh, Peter talks about this, how this freedom leads to this submission. I just want to talk about that briefly. From our freedom in Christ, we can submit to different areas. Now, in the passage, uh, if you could put that next slide up there, you'll see um, these words just in the beginning, verses 13 through 16. Uh, look at what Peter describes. He's, he's talking about this freedom, live as people who are free. But then he uses these phrases, but for the Lord's sake, for the will of God, as servants of God, and then fear God. So what he's saying is, is in view that God is sovereign, he's over all. This is his will, that you live for him in each area of the life that he's given you, in each of your stewardships, in each of your responsibilities. This is something that flows from the hand of God. He has something to say. We don't just make it up ourselves. The good news is, as well as this, we don't just do then what people necessarily tell us. We have to do what the Lord says, what the Lord wants, how he leads us 
and then we arrange ourselves under the authorities in which he's placed us. But again, that freedom in Christ is given to us from him. No one can take that away. And because of that, our ultimate allegiance is to him. Now, in this passage, we see this phrase. I don't know if it's up here, but, but be subject. It's, it's written four times. Be subject, and it means this, to willingly arrange ourselves under someone else. In other translations, it's, it's the word submit. Now, how many of you, when you hear the word submit, is that a positive connotation or negative? It's pretty negative. Like submit, wait, what? Like even just hearing the scriptures with that, you're just like, oh, that kind of ruffles my feathers a little bit. But if you look at what it means, and this is why it's important to dig into scripture, to willingly arrange ourselves under someone else, it actually means that from the freedom you have, you choose what you do. And what the scriptures say is you, you choose willingly to play the role that God's given you to play. Now, some of us were like, well, I don't want to play that role. Well, you either change your circumstances or you have to just keep turning to God and say, well, God, this is a real struggle for me. Like if you have a hard boss, if you're struggling with what our country's doing or where the government's headed, like you, you struggle with that, but there's always this disposition. Like I want to arrange myself willingly under those God has placed over me. And I do that from the freedom I have. It can't be forced ultimately. And that's actually one of the, the beauties of our country. It's we're living as sovereign people who it's by the people for the people. And so something we have in the United States is actually very unique. That's even different than what Peter talks about. But the scripture says this in Ephesians 5.21. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, the submission, this being subject to, what does it come from? It always comes from Christ. If you're forced, it's not real. If there's no freedom to choose it, then you're not really being subject to. Does that make sense? That's why that freedom is so important. You have to be free. And the Christian life is one where we actually want to always look to how we can arrange ourselves under people, meaning like, how can I help you with your goals? Again, it goes back to that hard attitude number one. I want to know your goals and your interests, and I'm not going to demand you meet mine, but how can I meet yours? If you do that continually in your relationships, you will have such a strong relationship, and you'll have loyal people around you because you love them. This is the life that, that God's called us to. Now, because that word is maybe a struggle, maybe submit and be subject to, I, I want to just define more of what it doesn't mean. Um, if you could put that, that up there. Submission, it does not mean agreeing with everything an authority does or says. Have you agreed with everything the government has done this past year? Well, do people get silent all of a sudden? No, probably not, okay? Um, have you agreed with everything that your boss has done this past year? Like year, just try week, right? Ladies, have you agreed with everything your husband has done? Uh-oh. Probably not, right? Kids, young people. Have you agreed with everything your parents have done? They're so afraid because they know if you sit in the front, your parents are behind you. They see everything you do right now. But you just blink your eyes twice. It's actually three times. It's been hard. It's been hard, right? But you know what I'm saying. None of us agree, but that's not what submission means. It doesn't mean agreeing. It does not also violate God's law or our conscience. Again, we can't obey men over God. And if there's something that you sense like you can't do, it like violates your conscience on what you think is right, you should not do it. That's not submission. It does not mean you should not think. You still have to think. God's given you a mind. It does not mean we avoid trying to persuade or change direction if needed or appropriate. It means you don't just blindly follow. There are times where you can have influence to lead something to change. And that's even to you, you know, young people, if there's something that's really bothering you about your family life, you have to learn how to bring up a conversation to your parents. Like, mom and dad, I'd really like to talk about something that I'm struggling with and I don't understand. Can I tell you where I'm coming from and I'd like to hear your perspective? If you do that, you'll actually gain respect from your parents because you're bringing up in a humble way something that you'd like to talk about. They know where you're at. That's part of, of submitting. It's the same with wives to your husband. If something is bothering you that your husband's doing, you're not loving him and you're not even submitting to him if you never actually talk. Most husband 
Husbands need to be clued in. When I say most, I mean every single one needs to be clued in by their wives. We're pretty clueless on a lot of issues. I could say that because I'm a man. Like, I don't know a lot. I can't think like my wife thinks. I don't understand the relationships that she understands. I don't understand my kids like she understands. I have to clue into her. Well, if she doesn't share what she's thinking, I don't know. And if I don't listen to what she shares, I don't know. So this is very, very important. Next It does not mean we put the will of authority over the will of Christ. It does not mean we get our identity or will from that area of authority. It does not mean we act out of fear. That's also very important. Sometimes we just do because we're fearful. This isn't what Peter's talking about. He's, again, talking about the identity that we have in Christ to live as free. Now, if you can, I just want to back up a tad just to be a reminder of where we started. We're free because we've saved from the slavery of sin. We have a living hope because Christ conquered sin and rose again. We have a salvation that will not tarnish. We have the living God, God the Father, who's gone before time, all of eternity, that knew exactly here and now the time in which we live, the family we'd be born into, and the place in which we would be living right now. He knew that. We have Christ who's done everything on our behalf to connect us back to God. And we have the Holy Spirit who guides us. So Peter is saying, you have all of this at your disposal so that you can do what God's called you to do in each arena. Okay, so let's get back. From our freedom in Christ, we can submit to, and I'm just going to go through this, this, uh, this quickly. The first is government authority. That's an area where we actually do have to follow the laws of our land. Now, are we lawbreakers? Absolutely. Do you always follow the speed limit? No. I mean, I actually, if I follow the speed limit, I feel like I'm breaking the law by going too slow. Like, honestly, like if I, I'm like, whoa, this is what that feels like. That's just a confession. Like, I don't see that, but that, that's like, I'm a lawbreaker. Stop signs. I really need to work on that, like, stop. But also that I feel like it's, it's, it shouldn't say stop. It should say rolling. But that, like, makes for a really wide sign, rolling. But that's what I tend to do. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a lawbreaker. I'm sure you are too. There's different things in, in, in each arena. But here, Peter's talking about uh, human institutions. He mentions emperors, governors, and he's talking about those who apply justice to a society. They, they punish evil and they praise those who do good. There's also a part in our, in our country right now, which is like even defying authority, like coming against those like police officers and those people who are standing to uphold justice. That, that's actually wrong. Those people are putting their necks on the line to allow justice to happen. And so we have to be very careful how we respond to the authorities that God has put in place. Again, who has put authority in place? God himself. If he's sovereign, and he's over it. Now, the question is, is for what reason has he allowed this authority to be in place? And that's where it can send you on a different path, because I think there's different reasons that you can see in Scripture. Sometimes it's to bless God's people. Sometimes it's to punish God's people. Sometimes it's to raise up a man to bless him. Sometimes it's to raise up a man for him to be brought down, to be humbled. Those are the reasons. So sometimes we don't know, but we trust God that he'll work and he'll use God's people in the middle of whoever leader we, we have. And for us in America, we submit to the government that's been established in our country. Uh, For Peter, if you could imagine, he's writing this as a Jewish man in a Roman-ruled society. And so his rights as a Jewish man were very different than someone who had the, the Roman rights. Like Paul himself was a Roman citizen. He claimed his rights as a Roman citizen. Peter didn't have the same rights. And so depending on who you are in your situation, and so if you're an American, you're born in this country, we submit to the government and to the authority that was established. What that means is that actually can change because it depends on where you live and the country in which you're under. So for us, it's helpful to be reminded of of our country, its founding, uh, what that means. And this isn't like a a government lesson, but I do want to just briefly talk about some things because it's helpful, especially for where we may be headed in our country. Uh, Here's key principles of our constitutional republic. This is the founding of who we are. Our country is not a democracy. The majority doesn't just rule. The republic actually prevents just 
the majority of the masses that could actually take it in the wrong direction. But here's how our country was established. This isn't from the scripture. This is from the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence. This feels actually more like a biblical document. This is the founding of our country. God is the ruler of the world. This is what the founders of our country said. What's that saying? He's the top box. He's the ruler. God is the creator and giver of rights, not men. People are sovereign. The purpose of government is to serve and defend rights, not to give rights. Meaning the government can't give you your rights. You have them. It's actually biblical. You have that because God's given it to you. He made you in his image. You're free. So the government should exist to uphold the freedom that you've been given. It's your identity. That's actually beautiful that our founding fathers understood that. And then unjust government should be opposed, altered, or abolished by the people. So this is something that we have in our country that we need to realize is part of our framework. God is a part of our country. He's part of our founding. And the rights that he's given us, we actually have to uphold as a country. We cannot take those rights away. And that actually ties back to to freedom. And so for us in this country, if ever uh, our rights are taken away where we don't have the freedom to actually worship God and to do what he says, then we have to apply how our country was founded to defend those rights. It's for, it's for the people. Now, I want to go back, if you could, to the boxes. This is another distinction that I want to mention. With God, the government, the work family. So God is sovereign over all. But he is the only one that can go up in the hierarchical. I don't quite say that. How do you say that? Hierarchy? That's much better. I like that pronunciation. Okay? In that, God is the only one that's up. No other stewardship or box can, meaning this, the government actually has to stay within the stewardship that they have. And that should be limited. That's how our country was, was founded. So the government shouldn't be able to come into the church box to dictate how we worship. And the church box shouldn't go into your family to tell you how your family should operate. And the work box shouldn't go to the government box, and the work box shouldn't go to the family, and the work box shouldn't go to the... You see what I mean? They're, they're each distinct to their own authority. Now, since God is sovereign overall, we still have to do what God tells us to do in each area. And this is where we use our freedom again as servants of God. And so there's times, and there could be in the near future, and this is something like we have to be prepared for the next generation. Like our kids, you young people, one of the things you have to deal with is you may be actually persecuted more for your faith than we were for those who are older. And that's not to give you fear because, again, you don't live in fear. You choose faith. But one of the roles we have as a church is to prepare you young people to know how are you going to operate and live as servants of God, potentially in a place where it's harder to do that. Will people make fun of your faith? Well, people may say that you don't have the right to speak the truth of God and his ways. Our duty and our role as a church is to help you prepare for that. Are you ready? Just kidding. I was just like, just making sure you're listening, right? But that, that's part of church, like the bigger context is we have to realize like this is the responsibility we have. How do we live as servants of God where his allegiance is first, despite the changes and different things that we may experience? Again, Peter is writing this himself being persecuted among Christians that are being persecuted. And Peter himself was martyred for his faith. So you see, he believed this allegiance over everything. Okay, so that's the work. So we have freedom in Christ, or sorry, that was the government. Freedom in Christ we can submit to also our work authority. Again, this was like the servant and master relationship, but I want to just highlight uh, briefly verses 18 and 19. It says this, servants, be subject to your masters uh, with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. There's going to be times in your life where God puts you with a boss he wants you to have for you to learn some things. Because there's times where you actually have to learn how to endure. And how do you endure? Through hard things. The scriptures speak of that again and again and again. That's actually one of the major themes of First Peter, how to deal with suffering. And oftentimes we get put in situations, especially in work, where it's very difficult. Have you ever had a difficult boss? Anyone? Like a boss that you thought, like, how did they become a boss? 
You ever just, and it, you struggle? Like, they go to tell you anything, and just everything is just like, it's hard for you to even take it with a neutral heart. It's just negative. Like, it can, we can get there. But here's some things that, that Peter is, is kind of laying out that I think is helpful. God uses difficult box, bosses to teach us some things. How to trust God when things don't seem fair. This doesn't seem fair. Well, how do you trust God in that? Because a lot of life is like that. It doesn't go how you thought. That's what he talked about in verse 20. How to suffer and learn like Christ did. He just talked, do you think you have it hard? Look at what Christ went through. I mean, talk about perspective. Is my heart? How do I weigh it on the scales of suffering compared to Christ? It's just something as a Christ follower you have to keep in the back of your mind. Like, you know what? I'm actually getting to be a part of the suffering that Christ did. None of us want that willingly. Like, we don't want to choose that. But that's what Peter is saying. It's like, from your freedom in Christ, you can even choose to stay under something hard because your faith and your understanding of Christ will even grow. And then you're going to trust that God will come through. You'll grow in that. And then I brought this from Colossians 3, but how to work for the Lord, not for men. There's just times where you realize, like, I can't be my motivation to please my boss. My motivation needs to be, I have to please God. And that's why I'm doing this. Colossians 3, verse 23 of 1 Peter, 21, 22, and 20, all, all of that becomes real most of the time. Not when a boss comes to us and says, you know what? I think you have the best ideas in the office. In fact, every time I make a decision, I'm going to come to you first, and you're going to tell me what we should do. Wouldn't that be an amazing boss? But most of the time, your boss tells you something you didn't see coming. It impacts what you're doing. It's different than what you thought last week, and it's changed everything you've worked on. That's very frustrating. I understand that. But this is where these things become real because we, we do so as servants of God. And then Peter finally addresses family authority. We can submit to family authority. Now, anytime you talk about marriage, especially in the church, right, that's your family. Again, that's in its separate category. But these commands are for people who are married. This isn't a, like a church model. This is a marriage model. So if you're married, this applies to you. If you're a husband, this applies to you. If you're a wife, this applies to you. It doesn't apply to anyone else in a relationship. It's specific to your marriage. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. This is very important, verse one. What Peter is saying is there are gonna be women who follow Christ with their whole heart and their husbands don't want anything to do with the Lord Jesus. So what Peter is describing is how do you persuade those husbands? How do you have the maximum influence and this is, this is what he says. Um, verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear. And it goes on, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, I want to say this because you hear quiet spirit. If you're a woman, does that bother you at all? Like, what, I'm supposed to just be quiet and not say anything? Well, it goes back to the, the submission. It doesn't mean you're supposed to be quiet. That's not what submission is. But I want to speak very briefly. And just know, women, like this is so, like it's a struggle for a man to read these scriptures and to talk about like what he's saying is beauty. Like that's, like this isn't my favorite thing to talk about. Can I just be honest? Is that fair? Like I'm not like, oh yes, I can't wait to talk to the wives about submitting to their husbands and what beauty is. But I will say this. Peter is touching on something because of the revelation of God that this is true. If you're chasing outward beauty as the way to have influence, you will always be chasing it the rest of your life. This speaks no matter who you are as a woman, if you're married or not. And our culture is just so focused on outward appearance. It doesn't take long. Go on social media, go in stores, go anywhere, go into departments. Like You don't find clothing like, hey, let's do more clothes. Let's cover more of the body. You seen those stores? No, it's always less. Always less, always less, always less. Because it gets attention. And beauty is something that's so external, but what Peter's saying is actually, no, it's internal, it's who you are. So if you're a woman, this is actually so powerful that you have to pay attention to this. Your greatest influence is your character. Who in the world is telling you that? Besides like maybe your parents, like it's not your, your outward beauty, it's who you are, right? But, but this is the truth. It's, it's who you are on, on the inside, 
And that can sound so cliche because you hear that and you're like, yeah, right, not in our world, but it actually is what lasts. And again, he's see, seeing, you, you know, you, this isn't about just this woman who has no influence. He actually compares her to Sarah. And then he says this statement about you're, you're fearless. They do not fear anything that is frightening. What Peter's describing is actually the strongest women of the strong. You're not chasing outer beauty, just shifting with culture and doing whatever it is that anyone tells you to do. You're actually doing what the Lord Jesus says. You let him change you from the inside out, and when you do that, you're beautiful, and you'll have the most influence. This is something our young girls need to hear, our women need to hear, the wives need to hear, and men, you need to hear this as well. You should always, if you're a man, and you're especially if you have girls, as daughters, your wife, you always need to be talking about their beauty from who they are, not just what they look like. Nothing can break a woman down than taking the beauty of who she is. And oftentimes that beauty can be just diminished by even what you say about appearances. And all of us, like we're self-conscious about how we look, we're insecure. Are there things about you women that you'd like to change? Like if I gave you five seconds right now, could you come up with a list of the one thing you'd want to change about how you look? I've lost the women. They don't even want it. They're not even saying. They're not looking. Pastor, we're just being quiet here, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? You probably have a list. You probably have those things. And that, that's normal. That's part of the struggle of being human. But what Peter is saying is like, listen, there is something imperishable when you influence your husband and you team with him. Now, in the family structure, the man is the head of the home. Like that, that's biblical, like, you can't actually go around that. As much as culture changes, you can't ever go around that, and I'll tell you why. The reason is this. The scriptures say that the man is the head of the household because Adam was created first. It's always created to creation. It's not cultural. It's creation. It's the beginning of time. It's forever. It means that there's somebody who has to, when it comes down to it, they have to make the final decision. And God said that that's the man. Now, I know that like, that's, oh, that kind of, ooh, that doesn't feel right. But that, that actually can help because you have to have somebody that's willing to make the decision. What that means is the man is on the hook for that decision. And the man will stand before God and be held accountable. If you go back to the creation account, who did God, to, God go to first after sin had entered the world? He went to Adam. Accountability was with him. In creation. And so just like there's this, this boss, and I hate to use the word boss, and that's hard, but like work, there's boss and the followers and the government, there's the citizens and those in leadership and in, in the family, it's the same. And children, you, you need to submit to your parents. And the wives, it says, like, be subject to, to your husbands. It means to, to follow them. Range yourself under, meaning like they are the head of the family. God has put them in there. But Peter is talking about somebody who they're probably not even... Like a Christian, they're not probably mature. They don't have great sense. Like he's speaking to these wives that are facing tremendous odds, very difficult situation. But he's actually giving them hope. As you follow God in his ways and as you trust him, he, he will come uh, through to you. Now, husbands, you're, you're not off the hook either. And in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says this, likewise, so it's actually sits kind of, uh, speaking this likewise of this, this submitting that he's been talking to, this whole, like, the government, the work, the family. Like, likewise, there's actually things you need to do that's part of that Ephesians 5.21. Now, the, the husband doesn't submit to the wife in the same way. Like, it's not like a mutual submission in the marriage. But listen to what he's saying, which actually is the practical implications of what that would look like. Likewise, or sorry, go to verse 7, please. Uh, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing what? Honor. Let me ask you this, wives. How many of you want to be honored by a man? To be cherished? To be loved? To be taken care of? The thing is, is actually you're meant to be honored. God made you and you're beautiful because of who he made you to be. Every woman longs to be honored. Just like every man does. But here, the men are commanded 
you understand your wife. So if you think of this in the context of this, like, this headship, it means that you're leading your wife, and for you to best lead your wife, you need to understand her. You need to know how she thinks, who she is, what she sees, what she fears, what she hopes. You know what that means, men? You have to listen when she wants to talk. Do your wives want to talk? You guys are so scared. Everyone's scared today. Women talk. They talk more. Studies like thousands of words more. What, Paul, what Peter's saying is like, you have to listen. Listen to those words that are coming out of your wife's mouth. You got to listen. Because in listening, you, you'll understand. You'll see what she sees. You'll know what she's going through. And you'll know what's going on. And then you can lead better. I don't know how many times my wife has clued me into things that I was so clueless about. And it usually starts, you know, Alex, I've been thinking. And I'm like, I think I should sit. And I really need to listen. Like, I need to put distractions away because I'm going to get some insight here. And I don't know how many times that has happened in my life that saved me from things that I was just clueless about. Most times men operate... There's not a problem until something blows up. And then it's a problem. Like, wow, everything was great. I don't know what happened. Well, oftentimes there's just little sparks and there's little fires along the way that most women can see. And so as you listen, that, that, really, that really helps you. Um, okay, so I probably offended everyone today or just, you know, we're frustrated, all of us. But... Um, this is the scripture. Like, there's no way. Like, when you go through the scripture, you have to talk about these things because it's what it says. But it, it's actually, again, it's the freedom. Now, I, I, I'm actually okay if, if it makes you uncomfortable because you're free to do what God's word says or not. If you have a better way, do it and see how it goes and then evaluate and then decide, did your way work better than what the Bible says? You're always free to do that. That's why the freedom is so important. But you have to decide, is it better? And how do you know? And how do you know if it's a long-term or short-term better? Like, how do you gauge that? And then what if you're wrong at the end of 10 years? How do you go back? Like, all of these things you have to weigh into your decision-making. Okay, church, I'm not gonna really touch on that. Here's what I'm gonna close with. 1 Peter 2, 23. We live our lives as those entrusted to God and as citizens of heaven. It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So we talked about the allegiance to God, the freedom that's found only from him. Everything I've said for you, as it's difficult, as it's hard, as you try to arrange yourself in the way that God's designed for you to fit in the different areas of your life, you will never get past having to entrust yourself to God. These are faith issues, deep faith issues. Following your husband, if you're a wife, is a deep faith issue. It's very hard. You're vulnerable. How do you deal with your vulnerability? You either choose to get into fear or you entrust yourself to the Lord who watches over you. Men, it's very difficult to lead. And what happens? Most men, because it's difficult, you don't want to screw up, you don't know what to do, you don't want to be incompetent, you get passive. And then you let your wife lead because you don't want to. And then that causes all sorts of problems. And so the way you push past passivity to do what God's called you to do, to make the hard decision, to sacrifice yourself, to lay your life down for your family, the way you do that is you entrust yourself to God as well. I don't know what's happening with our government. We have an election next year. I'm not that excited about that. And the season that which that brings, in our world, that sells because it's just like fear, 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 fear. More things to be fearful about. For us, we actually live like, whatever the Lord does, I will play my role as a citizen of this country in light of my citizenship in heaven, and I will trust God. And if it's bad, compared to heaven, it's a very short period. And if it's good, Compared to heaven, it's a very short period. And it won't be 
near as good as it will be in heaven. That's what Peter's describing here. So hopefully this this makes sense. I want to invite the band up as we wrap up today. Um, Just some things to kind of draw out what I've talked about, and I've covered a a lot of ground, but uh, who is someone you can honor this week? That's a really good question for you to think through. Who is somebody that you can honor? Like just express appreciation for what they do, how they do it. I don't know the last time you've ever like told your boss, have you ever said anything encouraging to your boss? Like it's like, oh, you don't, like, you don't do that. That's weird. But do you know bosses are always super discouraged because they don't think they're doing a good job? Most bosses are. If you're a boss, you know that's true. You don't know if you're doing a good job. And most bosses struggle with whether they, people like them or not. So you don't have to you know, do anything. You don't have to be fake, but just, hey, thanks for, thanks for leading us and being, being our boss. So that, that's a way you can honor. Uh, thank God for a leader you have and pray for that leader. And then is an area of your life you need to entrust to God. Like you feel that, that, that rebel, rebellion come in. You maybe feel that fear come in. Like, what's that area? Oftentimes, that's the area where God's saying, hey, you need to trust me here. You need to trust me here. So just ask God, like, what is, what is that area? Uh, next week, we'll continue. I'm going to continue forward on 1 Peter, and I'm going to pray. And if I've never met you, I'd love to meet you back at the next step table. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day and your, your word, which is true. And thank you that you use it to challenge us and speak to us and... God, I just thank you that despite my own weaknesses and the weaknesses of our church and our failings and the way that we don't sometimes just do what you want us to do in all of our arenas, whether it's church life or family life, in our work life, that you are so gracious to us and patient. God, help us to be mindful of that. We, we tend to put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be perfect, measure up to our own standard of righteousness. But God, the standard of righteousness is Christ's and not our own. And his righteousness is whole. And so we accept his righteousness and we discard our own self-righteousness or the righteousness of our society or our culture. We reject it because it's only in Christ's righteousness that we experience that wholeness. God, help us to be good followers in the areas that you've given us. If we're leaders, help us to be good leaders as well constantly entrusting ourselves to you. We ask this by the hope and power of your son, Jesus. Amen.